You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. I am so excited to have Omar Hamdi on the show with me today. Omar, how you doing? I'm good. Good to see you. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, it is 1.44 a.m. in Dubai. So you're going at full speed ahead. It is only 1.44 PST in the afternoon here. So uh, uh, what's it like in the future right now? In the future, <laughs> Dubai is always the future. Anyone who's been there, you here, go. <laughs> always, we have a museum of the future here. It's like sci-fi. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it is. Yeah. I've gotten to go. I haven't been to Dubai, but I've been in the airport at Dubai and just the airport puts every other airport to shame. It's like you're 20, 30 years in the future. You've got like a huge five-story shopping mall in the middle of this desert. It's, it's incredible. But we're not here to talk about Dubai. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about uh, your background. Take me back to like, you know, a young uh, Omar, like, what were you thinking your future was going to be? What were you planning on becoming when you became a, an adult? That's a that's a very deep question. I didn't <laughs> wonder if this was a good decision, but I'm, I'm happy to use this for a therapy session. So there thank you. Go. So I never really had a clear vision, but I definitely knew that I didn't want to do anything ordinary. That sort of impulse, I guess, followed me through as I transitioned into adult life. At the end of my first year of college, I had a job offer um, for when I graduated college. I had a job offer from Accenture, you know, top management consulting firm in the world. And, uh, and I kept putting it off. I kept giving them excuse after excuse after excuse. Yeah. And in the end, either you're in the office on Monday or you don't have a job anymore. And I wasn't in the office on Monday and I you, you know, started, started a business. So, so I never really had a clear vision. And even now, who knows you know, where I'll be <laughs> or what I'll be doing you know, right. in a year or five or 10. Um, but I've got a sort of natural discomfort with a predictable, regular, pedestrian life. That's the closest thing I have to a plan. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's so backwards from most people. And it's interesting because everybody I talk to, you know, maybe they haven't gone the same career path as you, but so many people that are the entrepreneurs, they've gone out and done their own thing, have that aversion to being in the nine to five grind of like, oh, I'm going to be in a cubicle every day. When I talk to people outside of the podcast or outside of immediate business connections, I'm sitting at a Thanksgiving dinner table everyone's going like, don't you want security? Don't you want that nine to five? Don't you want a cubicle? Don't you want benefit? And it's like, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> you know, like as much as they can't see the path of going your own route, you know, we can't see that world of being in that cubicle, that, that stuck in that grind. And especially with what you do, I mean, you've spent so much of your career being in front of the camera, be working in production side. That on top of it is terrifying to a lot of people. So what put that bug in you to say, I want to be front and center. I want to be able to show what I can do, be in this kind of entertainment realm. What 
puts that into somebody? So I think we all owe it to ourselves to work out what we're best at. You can call Mm -hmm. it a gift if you want. But uh, even if you don't want to be that romantic about it, let's be really British about it. Find out what you're (laughs) bad at. Right. And if you find out what you're least bad at and then try to focus on that. And I, I like to think that I'm least bad at, uh, at communication. Uh, so that, that is my, my gift and always wanting to communicate, working in the media, communicate for myself, communicate for the person you're interviewing. And now, you know, running a PR agency, you know, helping others communicate, helping others get their stories out, you know, whether they're small businesses, big businesses, governments, NGOs, you know, sometimes, you know, quite weighty issues, you know, sometimes things that really, really matter, even if it's just a small business, you know, promoting a product. Well, that, I believe me, that matters to the guy who owns that business and the ten or 20 people whose livelihoods depend on that business. So really, it's just been trying to go with the flow and to find to find where my skills lie and not resisting that. Yeah. When did you realize that was going to be a monetizable skill to say like, oh, I'm really, uh, I'm really gifted at communication. That's, you know, sometimes the thing we're most gifted as the thing we don't think about because it's second nature to us. So when did you say, oh, I'm going to put this into my business? You know, I'm going to start marketing that that character trait? Well, I definitely didn't set out for it to be a business. Mm -hmm. So it started, you know, absolutely organically that uh, I had people in my circle of friends or or network who sort of viewed me as the media guy. Because if you only know one guy who's in the media, he's the media media guy, guy. (laughs) you know, the media guy. And, you know, they might ask me for advice, you know, they might say, okay, you know, we've got a business or we're running a fundraiser or whatever. How do we deal with the media? Because it it does seem like this very mysterious, elitist, inaccessible, secret society, secret handshake type of place, uh, when actually it isn't. It's just a marketplace like anywhere else. The marketplace of ideas is no different to the marketplace for bottled water. So it started off with people in my network just informally asking me for advice, then concentric circles, you know, people further out from me where I said, well, okay, I'll help you, but could you give me a little bit of money? And then it slowly developed into doing it for absolute strangers, you know, and, uh, and, and now obviously, you know, we, we, you know, we have a team, you know, across UK, US and the Middle East. And most of the people we work with are are absolute strangers. Uh, Over time, they do become like family. And and we do have people who are from that initial seed. We still have people from that initial, the initial seed of friend clients who who are still with us on that journey. But it's been a very, very accidental process. And it continues to be. It continues to be accidental. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I mean, you you mentioned earlier, there's a gravity to communication, you know, and there's a weight there. And I think everybody feels that that's why there's so much fear associated with it, because we understand how important it is to get our message correct. Like you said, whether we're talking a politician who has his whole political career on the line, or whether we're talking about someone that's trying to sell enough of his product to keep his doors open, there's gravity to that message. You know, you're obviously gifted in helping people craft that message. People who may be gifted in a million other areas outside of that, you know, helping them get that message out. So 
when you're sitting down with somebody, when you're trying to analyze how to communicate effectively, what's the number one thing you're focused on? Is it clarity? Is it emotion? Is it laying out the facts? What's the number one thing that companies should be focused on when they step into crafting that message? Well, I'm going to give you a very kind of Ivy League clever response. So the company is called Pathos Communications. Now, in ancient Greece, there were three principles of communication, pathos, logos, and ethos. Mm -hmm. Uh, So ethos is ethos, ethics, communicating, convincing someone to do something because it's the right thing to do. Logos, logic, convincing someone to do something because it's the logical thing to do. It makes sense for them to do it. And pathos is about emotion. So what we're always searching for is we're searching for the emotion. Even if it's a very, very, very cerebral or intellectual piece of work. I mean, we've just uh, finished a job uh, for the Department of Energy, you know, not necessarily, you know, the sexiest, you know, subject matter in the world. But we were searching for that emotion. And once you've got that emotion, you can answer the most important question which is the question that a lot of PR people are afraid to ask their clients. Why should anyone care? And if you've worked out the emotion, you can work out why people should care. And that makes everything a lot easier. And a lot of the time that question isn't answered because no one has the guts to ask it. Do you find that a lot of companies don't know themselves why people should care? Yes, I find the vast majority of people who have the desire to you know, be on the front page of the New York Times have never asked themselves or ever been asked that question. The thing about how we work is we have to be honest because we we don't take retainers. You know, we only make money if we get our clients published. So there's no room for niceties or diplomacy. You know, if if you come to me and you say I want to do a, I think there should be a feature about me doing X Y Z. You know, if I don't believe that I can get that in a top tier publication, I have to tell you, otherwise I'll be bankrupt. Uh, so, <laughs> right. so, so we have to be honest. And that honesty, I think, can force us to sort of find that emotion. And, I, and I'd say that that's the number one question to always ask. Big picture, but then also, you know, zooming in, you know, if you're even something small, like, you know, if you're writing a LinkedIn post, as you type every line, you have to ask yourself, why should people care? Uh, and sometimes that's a really tough question, but it's the most yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really great point. And I, I heard a long time ago, someone made this statement, people buy with emotion and justify with logic. Do you think that's a, a valid assessment? Yes. But I think people do everything with emotion and justify everything with logic. It's not just about buying. It's mm. everything. It's yeah. everything. I think we are completely emotional, irrational animals. But, you know, we live in a, a culture, I would say most of us, if not all of us, we live in a culture that, that prizes rationality and intellect. And But a lot of this is just performance, really. Right, right. Yeah, I, I'm really curious, you know, kind of diving deeper into that practical side, crafting that message. I mean, first of all, how your business operates, because you're 100% PN results PR agency, which... Uh, I mean, I guess speaks to your confidence in what you're offering to people. What made you make the decision? The confidence in the clients. Yeah. We're only as good as our clients. You know, Mm. what it does is it forces us to pick the right clients. But Mm. sorry, I interrupted your question with my enthusiasm. (laughs) No, No, I mean, it's great because it kind of pushes me closer to the ultimate question, which is 
how do you determine, you know, who you're going to partner with? Because going with this model, you could waste a lot of time, a lot of your own money spinning wheels. And I'm sure you've had periods in your career where you feel like you're doing that. Everybody has that at some point at some level. How do you go about auditing that circle of people that you work with whose message you're going to get out? Do you have to have a complete alignment in your own, you know, values or is it something where you can kind of take their passion and put it onto you in that period to get them out there? It's the latter, definitely. It's about taking their passion and taking that raw material and fashioning it into something, uh, you know, manufacturing that into something that is representative of, of the client, representative of what the media are likely to be interested in, uh, but also representative of the truth. You know, we've, yeah. we, we've got ethical in this. But I, the, the question we always ask ourselves is, would I read this? Mm -hmm. I'm personally constantly asking myself this whenever drafts land on my desk, you know, I wake up every morning, there's a spreadsheet with all these links, all these things that I need to approve. I always have to force myself to never get lazy, never just sort of wave things through. I have to always have that reality check of if this headline, if I was scrolling through Apple news or Twitter and this headline came up, would I stop scrolling? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, or I don't know, then it has to be better. And I think that's the test. That's the test. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah. Well, I mean, that leads to another question, which is where are people falling on their face the most when they're approaching these, these kind of things? Because, you know, I've, I've been in the branding side, you know, and worked with some companies and that's one of the questions I've had to bring up. You know, I worked with a large auto group and 
they were doing a marketing campaign and they said, we were, we're going to have the sales competition and we want to see who can sell the most cars. So we're going to do their whole campaign idea was we're going to announce this competition we're having. And I was like, nobody's buying a car so you can win a competition. <laughs> like that doesn't speak to them at all. Like that doesn't mean anything to your customer. That doesn't mean anything to the person you want to come in and buy a car. Nobody's ever made the second biggest purchase of their life. So a salesman can get, you know, an extra vacation day or whatever the bonus was. Do you find that's where most companies fall as they write for themselves, not the audience? Or is there something maybe deeper than that or something that, you know, maybe you didn't expect that you see where people commit these sins when they create their their marketing? I, I think the danger is you start to live in your own bubble. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this sometimes with very, very small organizations or, you know, one man, one woman bands. If someone's super passionate about, you know, a particular niche and it's their life's work and it's their love, uh, it can be very, very difficult. And, you know, perhaps even quite upsetting to have an outsider like myself or one of my team say, okay, I don't know why anyone would care about this. So that's the danger is, you know, of course, if you're pouring your heart into something, you've got to be biased. You've got to be mm-hmm. in love with it. But then you have to realize that not everyone is in love with this thing. Uh, and and the reader is asking, you know, what's in it for me? Why should I read this? Or why should I watch this interview? Or why should I listen yeah. to this? You know, people are, are asking themselves now, you know, listening or watching watching this interview, you know, why should I care? You know, and <laughs> right. hopefully, hopefully we're both doing a pretty good job at telling them, I hope. So that happens to individuals. And, you know, you've got that sort of stereotype of, you know, the, the, the crazy inventor, you know, who's created this, you know, widget, you know, achieve something that they've convinced themselves is super important. No one else cares. You know, the kind of people you get on Shark Tank sometimes and they get sort of laughed out of the room. But here's the other thing. Sometimes as organizations grow, they become a little bit cult-like mm. and they develop rituals and irrational beliefs and their own way of living that is completely alien to outsiders. And they start to have, you know, meetings. uh, And these meetings are very important rituals in the observance of the cult and in the worship of either the invisible gods of the cult, like KPIs, or the visible god of the cult, the founder or CEO. And I think Mm. this can get really, really dangerous, you know, and and I've... um, you know, that's a challenge for us as well as, as we grow to, to, to keep that sort of no nonsense, no BS culture. And I think probably the, the bigger an organization becomes, the harder it is to maintain that sense of reality because you've got more cult members. So it makes the cult much more credible. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that's the most important thing is to always, and I suppose that's why it's important to have outside consultants and outside experts and perhaps people like me who can come in and who are not cult members who can tell them, whoa, wake up guys. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, we, we ask everybody, I mean, the show is focused on networking relationships, you know, and really a lot of that has to do with communication, but I'm curious based on this last response you just gave, what your answer would be to this question. We ask everybody that comes on the show, do you believe who, you know, or what, you know, is more important and why? What's your perspective on that? Do you think it is a a knowledge game or do you think that having good relationships is critical uh, when it comes to success? I'm deciding whether to give you the honest answer. 
I'll give you the honest answer. Always default to the honest answer. That's perfect. Always be honest. I've just been talking about honesty and authenticity for 20 minutes. So I, I have to speak from the heart. If I could choose whether to be a very, very intelligent person who knows nobody or a very, very mediocre person who knows everybody, I would choose to be the average guy who knows everyone. Having said that, uh, I think to, to to really achieve anything of substance in the world, you know, you need both. You know, you need mm-hmm. to be the genius who people enjoy having a cup of coffee with, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, if you look at the most successful people in the world, they've clearly got, you know, knowledge. But, you know, they're also, you know, great communicators and they have good relationships and they know how to inspire in a one-to-one situation or a one-to-many situation you know i still you know i still remember you know steve jobs you know pulling the the macbook air out of the envelope you know i mean that's just beautiful showmanship you know that's not someone who is a geek who doesn't know how to excite and entertain people so i think really really we need both yeah, I love that the genius that people aren't afraid to have coffee with. <laughs> Before we transition into kind of our our rapid round here, I want to follow up on that because there is this level where when we do know something and we are trying to help somebody, we're trying to go and tell somebody like, "Hey, wake up!" You know, we're trying to tell somebody, "Hey, why would someone care about this?" You know, in an area we know, like for you, it is PR, it is branding. You can sit there confidently and tell someone where something's broken, but there's a way to approach that where you don't come off as a jerk or arrogant and people just tune tune out, you know, how do you find that balance between being the expert, showing someone where the flaws are without coming across as brash, arrogant, disrespectful, or hurting them because it is their baby. This is their company. This is their team. This is their story. Sometimes, you know, like how do you balance those two? How do you walk that tightrope? I think the most important thing is that it's not about me. You know, if if I'm telling you, I think this idea needs to be sharpened up, it's, that's not me talking. That's me imagining what, you know, the editor or the TV producer is going to say or think. And we both want the same thing. You know, we both want results. Mm-hmm. You know, no one enjoys, you know, putting time and, and, and money, at least with us, it's not money if it doesn't work, but yeah. well, there's still time. No one enjoys putting effort into something that doesn't work, you know, mm-hmm. particularly for PR agencies. So it can be such a key part of, you know, often the self-image of, yeah. uh, of a company or, you know, the self-image of a CEO or a founder, but also the way they're, they're viewed in, you know, the marketplace mm-hmm. more broadly. It's not about me. And, uh, you know, and similarly, if I think that's awesome, again, it's not, it's not my personal preference. You know, I, I always have to remind our clients that I don't own any national newspapers or network <laughs> TV stations. Right. You know, I'm guessing at what other more powerful people's opinions will be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you just said it's not about you, uh, but I'm going to move us into our segment, uh, which is all about you. Uh, I'm going to do a quick random round with you. I want to ask some quick questions with some quick answers, be respectful of your time and, uh, and let you go on with your day. First, what profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? Oh, dear. <laughs> I'd love to be an adventurer. I was in Nepal. Uh, last month. And uh, Nepal, of course, is where Everest is, you know, the highest peak in the yeah. world. And, uh, and and we went up 
to sort of a viewing platform where you could sort of, you know, you look over there and, oh yeah, that's Everest. Uh, and I thought, wouldn't it be cool to climb Everest? You know, yeah. wouldn't it be cool to be sort of an Indiana Jones type? Yeah. Archaeologist. That's Indiana Jones's job title. Yeah. Love to be an archaeologist. There yes. you go. And he does go to Nepal in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So that's one yes. of his first stops. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. With the, the alcoholic lady. Yes. Yeah. The alcoholic woman lady. Yes. Excellent film. Yes. There you go. Yes, it is. Uh, if you could sit on a park bench with anybody past or present and ask them anything for an hour, uh, who would it be and why? Oh, that's really tough. That's really tough. I think it might be the author of my favorite book, Albert Camus. I want to know why he wrote The Outsider which is my favorite book. It's a very short, very miserable book. It's very French, uh, but, it, but it, it's, a, it's a beautiful book. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, I've, I've, I've actually been watching a lot of like French filmmakers lately. And I'm like, this is very depressing because <laughs> the American view of France is so like, oh, we're going to sing and dance under the Eiffel Tower. And then you watch French cinema and you're like, oh, <laughs> it's stark. the opposite. Of Emily in Paris. It's nothing like Emily in Paris. <laughs> You're not a fan of Emily in Paris, huh? <laughs> it's virtual reality, you know? It's you virtual yeah. But I, I feel sorry for all of the Americans who are going to now go to Paris based okay, on Emily it. in Paris. Here's an interesting bit of trivia, just so everyone can see how clever I am. In Japan, they have a disease, a psychological illness, like a mental illness called Paris Syndrome. Hmm. And it was diagnosed in Japanese tourists who have this idealized view of Paris and they go to Paris and they realize it's, you know, it's just like everywhere else, you know, it's, you know, got trash and it's got crime and it's got beggars and it's got rude, busy people. Uh, And then they come back to Japan depressed because, you know, they've been (laughs) building up Paris in their minds as this sort of paradise. There's probably a very good metaphor for life there. I think. (laughs) There you go. How, how do you like to learn best? Do you just mention a book? Is it books, blogs, podcasts? Is it videos? What's your favorite way to consume that new information? Talking to people. Hmm. Really You're talking welcome. to people. Thank you. <laughs> Glad I could help. Uh, do you have a formal way you do that? Is it like masterminds or mentorships or just grabbing cups of coffee with people? I think the best learning is just completely spontaneous. So, you know, a lot of the sort of aha moments, you know, a lot of the light bulb moments for me, happen in just, you know, chance conversations. It might be talking to a friend or, you know, talking to someone in the office. And then suddenly, you know, someone jumps in with a comment and something's happening. That's where I get my inspiration is getting the energy of another human being in front of me. Um, Just having someone there in front of you, another human being, another beating heart uh, in front of you. uh, That that can make the magic happen. Absolutely. Uh, Give me a glimpse of your morning routine. I don't have a morning routine. So I, I'm enjoying the winter in Dubai and uh, almost all of our clients are in the US. Uh, so I get into the office for 3 p.m. So I, I have an afternoon routine. I don't have a morning routine. What, what's your afternoon routine? Or is it just kind of wake up and get to work? My afternoon my afternoon routine is is wake up without an alarm clock, which is one of, one of the luxuries of the time difference. And, you know, the first thing to do, like everyone in the world, is check my phone and catch up on messages, see what's been published for our clients overnight and, you know, new things that have been signed and and all of that. 
Um, I, I don't really have a, I wish I could tell you that I do, you know, two hours of yoga followed by wild swimming, followed by, you know, you know, singing with dolphins. I, I don't. I'm a very, very boring person. Uh, I'm so, sorry that I can't be inspirational on this occasion. No worries. Uh, what's your uh, go-to pump-up song? Do you have something that gets you moving in the beginning of the day or gets you excited to, to get started? I'll tell you actually what it is. And this is this is going to sound strange. Fix You by Coldplay. Okay. Which is not a typical pump-up song, yeah. right? But it's it's a hopeful song, isn't it? It's a hopeful song. No, no. Uh, what's something that you're not very good at? Podcasts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not, what am I not good at? I'm not good at accepting that things cannot always happen quickly. The time I'm most, the times, the times, plural, I'm most ashamed of myself is when I get, you know, very frustrated and in maybe a little bit childish because things are taking longer than I want them to. Sure, sure. Well, uh, this has been a really uh, great conversation. And uh, I know that there's some people who are going to want to see more from you, find out more about what you do. Uh, what's the best place for people to connect online with you if they want to kind of follow your journey and, and maybe just give one or two for yourself personally, and then one or two for obviously your your company if people want to check that out? Sure, sure. So for me personally, I'm completely against social media. So I'm not on any social media. I do have a Twitter account, but I don't use it. So it is all about the company, I'm afraid. So our website is pathospr.com, P-A-T-H-O-S-P-R.com. A lot of our team are on uh, LinkedIn, uh, Pathos Communications. But for me personally, I'm I'm extremely mysterious. But anyone can go on our website and get into my Calendly and and book time with me for any reason. So I'm, I'm, I'm I'm very accessible. I just don't like social media. I think social media is is evil. Uh, there you go. Except <laughs> well, for podcasts. podcasts are not social media. Podcasts are are radio. They're radio for under forties. That's there what you I go. That's perfect. Well, uh, I I really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation, and uh, I I'm bummed I can't follow you on social media because uh, I like a lot of what you have to say. So uh, I'll, I'll just you. slip in randomly into Calendly, and we'll uh, we'll make it happen. But uh, thank you so much for for taking the time to do this and for making it part of your day. Uh, I think this was really really helpful. Thank you, Eric. It's been great speaking to you. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, 
Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.